Hi everyone, I'm Hayley Haggerty and you're listening to In Case of an Event. This podcast is where event leaders and experts share success stories, inner secrets and lessons learned on how to create, cultivate and future-proof large-scale events. David Audrain is joining me today to discuss how the event industry is going to rebuild from the pandemic. He is the CEO partner of Expo Devco, as well as the Executive Director of SISO, the Society of Independent Show Organisers. He was previously the President of Clarion Events North America, President of Messy Frankfurt North America, CEO of Convex, and he's held senior positions at Advanstar, Hanley Wood, Miller Freeman and the Texas Restaurant Association. David is going to share his views on what's happening now to make sure the event industry is on its road to recovery. David, it's so nice to have you on in case of an event. Thanks for joining. Happy to be here, Heidi. Thank you. Great. So you have vast trade show event leadership experience. You have worked for most of the big, large trade show organizations. And you're also in a great position to hear from other event organizers as the executive director of SISO. So broadly speaking, what are you hearing from show organizers about trading events in the first half of 2021? Well, here in the US, uh, the vast majority of shows for the first half have, have been pushed. Uh, most uh, most of the organizers I'm speaking to, and in fact, uh, my partner and myself, our own shows have been pushed. We're starting in June. So we have shows in June, July, August, all the way through November. The exception of that, of course, is our SISO CEO summit in the spring. But for the most part, I'm hearing people are pushing and looking for the second half of the year. There are some May events, some June events, but more have been cancelled or pushed than not. And I hear that you're not you're not an avid fan of virtual events. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's not a secret. Most people know that uh, I'm one of those that thinks that the uh, the idea of a quote virtual trade show is an oxymoron. Uh, I think people have done a uh, some interesting things with some online content in particular, but. You know, I'm old school. I've been running shows in various markets for almost 30 years, uh, everything from food to uh, automotive to clothing to manufacturing. And in the vast majority of cases, you can't replicate that face-to-face interaction, that touch it, taste it, feel it. You know, I've run fabric sourcing shows and nobody buys a piece of fabric without touching it. Most uh, most car nuts I know when I ran the SEMA show, they would have, you know, walked over their dead grandmother to get into the show to be able to go and play with all the uh, all the hot toys so what's your thoughts on content being the pillar of the virtual event being able to share information whether it's from a stage or from a uh, or from a computer in fact actually makes it more accessible and easier for people to interact uh depending you know so we've done a lot of roundtable discussions which are are colleagues and members uh, love because they can, you know, we put a few dozen people in a room uh, online and and they're able to share. Is it the same as being in person? No, but it does at least hit a lot of the buttons. And the the value of it, as Paddy Cosgrove said uh, when we interviewed him uh, about his web summit and others, is being able to give people a flavor that might not have ever considered coming in person. And I think that's probably one of the, the best assets to online right now is that you know, if you're running an event like Web Summit in Lisbon and you've got people that just aren't going to consider flying across the world to go to Lisbon, but they can get a flavor for it, 
and they like what they see or hear, then they might try harder uh, to get there. What? No one wants to go to Lisbon? I find that hard to believe. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned about SISO. You're having mm -hmm. plans going forward to host events live in April and August, I believe. Is there any lessons learned from your side? Looking at the the, the needs and how testing can work to help uh, create a, a safe environment is something that we're, we're really going into. And it's, but it's a very different scenario for a 300-person C-level conference as we're doing with the SISO CEO Summit or a you know, 10 or 20,000 attendee trade show. It's a very different scenario in pushing them all forward. What we think is going to become more prevalent as these things uh, go forward, as the shows go forward, is testing itself is becoming easier to find locally. And what we, you know, one of the biggest issues for people is uh, the question of, okay, if I go to an event and I test positive, then what do I do? So, you know, most people, I mean, we just read the news about, you know, a group from, uh, from the WHO, I think, that went to China to do some research and, and a couple of them tested positive and now locked in a 14-day, you know, Chinese quarantine. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. So the likelihood is that for local events, I mean, first of all, we all know that local events are going to come back faster than, than national and international events, for yeah. sure. Uh, because simply um, being able to convince people to drive an hour to come to an event is going to be a heck of a lot easier than getting them to get on a plane. Or, and certainly internationally, we know that's going to be challenging for a while. But if they are going to travel, then having them test them get tested before they leave just like the airlines are doing for international travel now makes sense because they know all right well i tested negative so at least the likelihood is i'm going to stay negative if i wear a mask and and you know i'm safe as i as i travel through those are those are probably where we're going to see the the, the first steps in most cases encouraging people to get tested uh, being able to track people that have been tested and are negative so that they, we don't have to test them again the next day sort of thing uh, as it goes forward. You know, in an ideal world, yes, we'd love to test everybody every day. And, you know, in a small conference with a few hundred people, we probably can. And we're looking at doing that ourselves for, for SISO. Um, but when you're talking about thousands and possibly tens of thousands of people, it's the, the logistics of it alone, let alone the costs, are astronomical. And um, so it's it's something that we're, we'll see some trials, I think, in the next months. But building into that, now that vaccines are rolling out, now the issue will also be, okay, we can start testing people, but if they've been vaccinated and they can prove they've been vaccinated, then we don't need to test them uh, as they go through, uh, or we shouldn't need to, hopefully. The biggest aspect is really just safety. You know, we all, when we listen to Dr. Fauci and, and other experts, we all know that we'd be in a better place today if everybody wore a mask and if everybody did a better job of distancing and if everybody paid attention to the safety protocols that are out there and cleanliness and so forth. I certainly hope that we'll see a better uh, use of masks going forward. Uh, I know from the uh, experiences that the sh few shows that have been happening, I've been going through, uh, that they have, you know, we've been working together, we've endorsed the All Secure uh, Safety guidelines that were developed last spring and a, and a new uh, 2.0 version will be out shortly. Uh, and we've been working as an industry behind making that a, a, uh, a use of, of guidelines, standardized guidelines that we can 
uh, all work with. Uh, and that in conjunction with things like the GBAC Star program that the venues have been putting in place, we know that we can provide safe environments and we know that we can hold safe events. To that, After that, it's a matter of convincing our customers that we're doing the right thing so that they can feel safe attending. Uh, but I think that the case studies we're starting to see prove that point. And no, there have been no major spreads coming out of those. From an advocacy perspective, one of the biggest challenges we've had is getting uh, leaders, whether they're the governors or mayors, to understand that simply setting a maximum number of people being able to meet together in any one place at one time, whether it's 10, 20, 50, 300, whatever it is, is asinine, frankly, because it's all about distancing and safety protocols that are in place. And if you put, you know, 50 people in a 400 square foot room, uh, then not necessarily going to have the safest environment. But if you if you limit a 500,000 square foot convention center to 50 people, that's just silly. So it's the distancing. We know that we can provide environments that are frankly uh, safer walking down a, a typical trade show aisle than walking through a grocery store aisle. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. From the reports I've read, including the one that SISO did with the events that happened live in the last couple of months, their safety precautions have been excellent. And it's great to see, actually, when we're talking about those events, that although the numbers are down, um, both across the exhibitors and attendees for the most part, that we're really focusing on the attendee-to-exhibitor ratio, which has been great. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, our business is, has always been about numbers simply because that's what we make it about numbers. It's, you know, how many square feet have we sold? How many attendees have we got walking through the door? But very few of our exhibitors really care about those numbers. The numbers they care about is how many leads they walk away with. And for some companies, you know, I've got a show where we, we have exhibitors with these huge cutting and spreading machines uh, that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. If they walk out of that show with one sale, it's more than justified being in that, in that event. Uh, other shows, you know, they might have low-cost items. They might need dozens of, of, of leads as they walk out. Dozens can, can come from hundreds. It doesn't have to come from hundreds of thousands of people. So uh, I've never met an exhibitor yet who's been in a big show and been able to talk to everybody that came through the door. Uh, they, you know, if they find 10, 20, 50, 100 good leads, then they're usually happy. And um, and that's what we have to stress again is that if you've got a show right now where you've lost half your audience, the odds are that the half of the audience you've lost is almost certainly the least valuable half. Um, the people that are really doing business and that are really there to do business, um, those are the ones that are trying to come still. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there any creative cost savings that you've seen with the the live events that have been hosted? Well, unfortunately for most of us, you know, when we're looking at our budgets for uh, for shows going forward this year, um, you know, costs are, are going to be down in many cases simply because we got less exhibitors. Uh, unfortunately, that's not that's not how we like to save costs. Uh, but carpet is one example that many of us have talked about. You know, yes, there seems to be some uh, some actual fact behind uh, eliminating carpet to eliminate some spread of germs, which is great. Uh, but in all honesty, it does also uh, save an awful lot of money if we don't have to carpet every aisle. We've even talked about telling, you know, in most shows, you're required to uh, to um, to carpet your booth. Uh, and some small exhibitors and smaller shows, that's, a, you know, not insignificant extra couple of hundred bucks that they might not otherwise want to spend. So we're talking about not forcing that on people uh, in some cases as well. 
you certainly, I think we're, we're trying to be more flexible with uh, some of the costs that we might have had in past shows. We're obviously all working with our general contractors to try to find ways to uh, to cut down on costs. You know, maybe some of the signage might not be as flashy as it's been in past years. Uh, you know, maybe we're going to be getting rid of some of the overly flashy decor and registration setups and things that we have done in past years just because we could. You know, a lot of us have had uh, situations or arrangements with our contractors where we get, you know, X square feet of, of banners and signs and carpet and uh, numbers of counters and units and everything else. And we may not need them. Uh, and so we're looking at ways to, you know, say, well, hey, how about if I cut that in half and we, you know, we try to be more flexible on, on X instead. Um, I, I, I am, I, I know that's all going on right now. Those discussions are being had. Yeah, there's quite a few examples of competitive companies collaborating together. One example is Informa, Tarsus and Clarion are coming together for a fashion show in Orlando. How do you see this progressing beyond the pandemic? Our industry, I mean, SISO is the classic example. How many industries would you know where the vast majority of the top leaders in that industry get together every year and share quite openly? amongst themselves, how they're doing and what they're doing. I don't know many that are like that, but SISO and the exhibition industry, the for-profit side of our business, does that and has done that for decades. Um, we've all been, first of all, it's a small world. We, we know we're going to uh, either end up working for, with, or, or uh, uh, above somebody else. So we try not to burn bridges. We try to be pretty uh, professional and friendly, I think, in most cases anyway before all of this. But at the end of the day, especially for us, the for-profit organizers, we, you know, we have a pretty uh, single-focused point of view. We're looking at events. How do we keep an event relevant and valuable for our constituents? Because if it's relevant and valuable to our stakeholders, then we usually make money. And that's why we're here. We're, we're not associations, so we're not here just, just as a you know as a mouthpiece or a uh, an organization serving a particular industry, we are in the business of making money by running events. That's what we do. So I've always joked that you know I'll run a show in a tent in January in Ohio if that's what my customers tell me they want me to do. Uh, so I think we've always had that mindset. If we if it makes more sense for us to collaborate and provide a better win-win for our customers and ourselves, we've always done that. If we don't need to, or we can do better on our own, do better on our own. And that's what we'll go back to. In many cases, it's simply been that a lot of events haven't had the opportunity to collaborate or co-locate in the past because there simply wasn't enough room. If you're filling a venue, you know you don't need to collaborate with somebody. Unfortunately, at this point, we have more opportunity to co-locate because we're not filling the venues. That's a great point. I'm sure we would all rather be competitors and have full trade show floors. Um, I wanted to ask a question that will be difficult to answer in a podcast format. I think it's going to take more than this conversation. How is the event industry going to recover, in your opinion? It's going to take a while for things to rebuild. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm 100% convinced myself and most of us are that we will rebuild uh, because this industry has you know we, 20 years ago everybody told us the internet would make live events irrelevant and it hasn't in fact the, we have from decade to decade we're bigger than ever before 
2019 was the largest year for the industry ever. So there's no reason for the industry not to recover. Live events are valuable. We don't produce events just because we feel like it. We produce them because they actually serve a purpose and a value, and they create, they create ROIs for our customers. That isn't going to go away. What's going to take time is rebuilding, one, rebuilding confidence, but two, also helping our customers. A lot of people have gone out of business. I mean, we ha- have, depending on the industry, I mean, I have a restaurant industry show, and you know, the restaurant industry has been devastated, both on the restaurant and the supply side. So that is just something we have to, in different industries, we have to deal with and help them rebuild. Now, again, in good markets, you know, the U.S. is still the largest economy in the world. And the industries here are very successful at rebuilding. And the competitive nature of almost every industry means that if somebody has gone, somebody else will step in their place and rebuild it. And so it's a matter of whether that takes one year, two years, three years, that's going to depend on the industries in my mind. Yeah. And when you're talking about serving industries that are going through a terrible time just now, how are you going to build those events and help support those industries going forward? We talk to them. We, you know, we talk either with our association partners uh, and hopefully with every individual customer as much as we possibly can to see what we can do to help them or what they think they need, especially if it's any different. But we also have to be cautious not to you know, I think the old adage is um, uh, if you'd have asked uh, you know, people what they wanted back in the days of uh, horses and carts, they'd have said, you know, uh, faster horses and uh, we wouldn't have any cars. Uh, so you also have to take it with a pinch of salt that they may not necessarily want, know what's best for themselves. Every time if you ever go out and ask people if they think a new show idea is a good idea, Almost always they tell you no, because there's already existing shows and they think that there's uh, no need for more shows. Uh, But if you launch it and it's valuable, they'll come. So you you have to talk and listen, but also think past necessarily that all the answers may not be the right answers. Yeah, there's definitely the balance of asking the questions to the exhibitors and attendees, but also knowing when to take the risk when it comes to a launch. So you have your SISO CEO Summit coming up in April. Can you tell us what's on the agenda? Is there anything outside of the recovery? The SISO CEO Summit is the largest gathering of the CEOs of our industry every year uh, from around the world. And, um, and typically we would, you know, obviously focus on a lot of things, but for the most part, it's a, it's a networking and sharing of, of expectations and, uh, and goals and challenges and opportunities as we go through. And to be honest, mostly it's about people networking and doing business. I've done deals there. Most of the people I know have done deals there. Uh, it's it's what we share and how we how we develop in, in a in a fairly tight industry. Um, this spring, you know, let's be honest, there is nothing more important than our recovery uh, and how we are getting there. Whether it's through testing, whether it's through safety protocols, whether it's through trying new things, whether it's through, you know, adding online hybrid components to our events. Lots of people are trying lots of things and there will be a lot of sharing uh, of those uh, successes and failures and expectations going forward. Uh, But that's what the focus will be. How do we get through this year and next? uh, And what do we think, what do we need to do differently or the same in order to uh, bring our businesses back? A lot of people have been talking about hybrid. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that going? 
Um, again, it depends on the event. Um, you know, if I've got a manufacturing show with a bunch of big equipment, wandering around with a video camera uh, is fairly irrelevant. It doesn't particularly help matters. If I've got a, a high-quality content uh, that that people see value in hearing and participating in discussions on and so forth, then that's, I think, where people are seeing more value as it goes forward. Uh, but the, the, the key, what, what's really missing from anything online is the serendipity of the uh, unplanned connections that go through. You know, we've talked before about most people that go to shows regularly as buyers have a plan. They, they have certain suppliers that they already use. They have certain suppliers that they're thinking about using, and they have certain products they're looking for. And they plan for that, and they go for it. But they also plan, if they're smart, for the things they're not thinking about. Uh, that's why we have these huge new products sections in many big shows uh, where with potentially thousands of new items that they might never have thought about uh, going for. And it's very hard to manufacture serendipity. It's very hard to force uh, unplanned connections and unplanned uh, uh, product and findings as they go through. So those are the things that are, you can't replicate in my mind. It's also hard to, to replicate a lot of the one-to-one -one networking and connections that a lot of people have. I mean, a lot of fun is made of the, you know, the hotel bar scene uh, at events. But the reality is a lot of business is done through those impromptu or unplanned or uh, just accidental meetings that uh, the people have. Uh, plus, also, there's a lot of difference between trying to schedule a meeting with somebody with a fixed purpose and agenda going forward and just saying, hey, let's meet up in the bar later or let's have lunch or let's sit down for a coffee and, and oh, maybe we can talk about this. Um, you know, those are, those are things that it's hard to replicate online. But I think that what people are doing is they're adding in components of content and value that will bring the you know, what you don't want to do is give people a reason to stay home that would come to your show otherwise. What you do want to do is you want to find reasons to get people to test you, try you, that would never have come to your show before and that, you, that could and should come. But, uh, you know, now if they get a flavor for it, as Patty Cosgrove said, you know, hopefully you can turn some of those people that tried it out for the first time online into real face-to-face -face participants. Do you think that there's been any silver lining to the pandemic for the event industry. It's hard to say that right now because I don't, <laughs> it's very, very uh, small little microlining. The only things I would say is you know, it's, it's sort of those um, clouds that maybe it's a silver lining. The industry itself has worked very well together, but you know, the go live together advocacy campaign that, that SISO has underwritten the, the majority of, and, and most of the other major associations have been party to, uh, and was started by our friends at Freeman. You know, it's a very good example of how we got together, we stood together, and we're, we're trying to make up for, for, frankly, a loss of position of recognition for the industry, and we're having to catch up a little bit. Uh, but we have worked together very well. And I think some of the examples of some of the, uh, the co-locations and the collaborations of some of our, you know, what are competitive uh, organizations I think shows that we, you know, we are not cutthroat. We, at the end of the day, are very uh, good at supporting each other 
uh, and helping each other through this. That is a small silver lining. It is great to see so much collaboration going on to help support the industry to, to move forward. And on that on that note, what are you looking forward to when we return to the new normal? It's been a tough year. We uh, uh, we are looking forward. I personally haven't been on show site running an event since the middle of March, and uh, and I'm desperate to get uh, to get on show site in a venue in a nice cold, windy, uh, long day uh, handling a move in. Uh, I, I miss it desperately. Give me, give me, give me a loading dock with a roach coach uh, any day right now. <laughs> well, thanks, David, for your time today, and thanks to you and your colleagues at SISO and our colleagues in the industry who are working on driving the event industry on its road to recovery. Um, thanks again, David, and I look forward to seeing you at the SISO event in the summer. I look forward to it. Thanks, Haley. If you loved or even sort of liked this episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast, which will hopefully become one of your faves. Stay tuned for more episodes that will give you great support and advice on how to navigate in-person, virtual and hybrid shows in case of an event.